there's these hallucinations you get that you, you know they're not real, but it's it's it, it can just be hard to focus your eyes sometimes. Kind of just trying to sort of see through that stuff and and not trip. You know, that's that's the challenge. Excellence is about standing, and excellence is a requirement for your dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, I talk to Jeff Peltier, a Canadian ultra-long-distance runner. Jeff started running seriously at age 27, and after a few marathons, he landed into trail running. Jeff doesn't chase results and time. Instead, he wants to push his body and mind to its absolute limit, taking part in events on longer and longer distances. At the moment of the recording, he was actually getting ready for the Mohab 240, a 240-mile race in Utah. Jeff finished this race in the second place in 70 hours and 53 minutes. This episode is an incredible testimony of tenacity and discipline, even though running wasn't an obvious choice at the very beginning. I was definitely not an athlete growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, later in life, though, in my 20s, I, I, I really enjoyed being outdoors. You know, I grew up here in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, and um, we have great hiking opportunities. And I, I would spend a lot of time out, outside in the mountains. Um, so I enjoyed hiking, um, but I didn't really consider that sport. It was kind of more just, you know, leisure. Um, but when I turned 27, I remember reading that, you know, 27, you're supposed to be at your physical peak. And I didn't really feel like I was at the peak of much. And um, a friend of mine happened to be training for a marathon at the time. And I thought, well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. Um, and that was kind of the start of that journey. I, I, it was kind of more of a bucket list item. I just wanted to see if I could do one maybe. Um, and then I kind of got the bug and, and did a few marathons. And after a few years, right around when I turned 30, I discovered trail running and the rest is history. I've been trail running now for uh, about 12 years and uh, increasingly longer distances. So it was something about you know, the physical challenge and wanted to get back in shape, kind of getting mm-hmm. in shape as I was getting a little bit older, mixed with the adventure and the, the, the you know, getting outside and um, uh, the adventure in the mountains that really made it stick for me. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, again, when I found trail running. And so I think your first uh, kind of official uh, race was a half marathon, right? That's right. Yeah, I did, uh, I did the Seattle half marathon and then I did the uh, BMO Vancouver marathon, I did I think I I think I did that twice and I did the Victoria Marathon so that was all within about a three-year period a couple of half marathons uh, and a a few marathons yeah okay and was there a specific moment or race or anything you can and any moment you can pinpoint where you kind of as as you said got the bug for just running and it became fun rather than uh, (laughs) being forced to do it well, I mean, the marathon stuff I was definitely doing um, by choice and it was fun. But in hindsight, I don't think I would have stuck with it very long. I was getting diminishing returns, especially by, you know, the first the first race I did. I, I, I think I ran just over four hours or something for the marathon. And then I shaved off a half hour in the second one. And then the third one, I shaved off maybe 10, you know, 15 minutes. And I was getting these diminishing returns and I could sort of see the writing on the wall. You know, you train for six months for a marathon and you you put in all this work and all this effort and everything has to go right on race day to maybe shave off, you know, four or five minutes on your PR. Mm-hmm. So it really is all about times and it's all about, um, you know, trying to always raise the bar and get faster. And of course, that only lasts so long. And so for me, it was when I did my first trail race, which was actually one in Hong Kong. I happened to be in Hong Kong and uh, doing some traveling and there was a short race there. And uh, and then I came back and did, did another one here, part of the Five Peaks Trail Running Series in Canada. And, um, doing those kind of first couple of shorter races, I realized that it can also just be fun and challenging just to go out and run for the sake of running where time doesn't really matter. It's, it's harder to compare times between, you know, different races, mm-hmm. uh, in the mountains because every, every course is different. Uh, the, the environment's different, the weather can be different. So it becomes more just about going out and doing your best on the day. And it's less about, you know, exactly three hours and four minutes or whatever it might be your, your target. So I think it was 
when I started trail running that I realized, you know, there's more to it than again, these diminishing returns of, mm-hmm. you know, just times and you can, you can sort of, uh, set other goals. Um, yeah. those could be distance based. It could be, you know, whatever, but, um, yeah. So I think it was doing those first couple trail right, runs that really changed it for me. And that's when I realized it was something I probably could stick with, um, for, for the long haul as well, which is I think really important. And, and was it linked to the fact that, like you said, the marathon at some point you can only, shave off so much you know marathon yeah. after marathon plus at the end of the day what you do is fighting only for you versus trying to you know you might you probably had a very good level but you would be i don't know 150 on 2000 yeah. runners so you wouldn't have that competitive yeah. mindset of oh i want to make top 10 or podium whatever when going exactly. to trail you don't really run after a time you just run you know compared to you compare yourself to the others and like you said maybe you you want to go and get more and more uh, longer and longer distances Yeah, I think there's sort of a contradiction there a little bit as well, because trail running tends to be a little less competitive, at least it feels less competitive uh, than, say, you know, marathon running or Mm -hmm. triathlon running where, you know, people are really focused on themselves in the moment and, you know, wearing headphones and things. Whereas with trail running, there's a little bit more camaraderie. Um, It's sort of a it's a mix of competition and collaboration, you know, with your fellow runners, especially in some of the bigger and more remote races. You really are. You know, there's a safety element and you want to, you want to look out for each other's back. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, as you said, the field sizes tend to be smaller. So, um, there is a chance of, yeah, maybe I can go for a top 10 in a race of mm-hmm. 150 people. Uh, so it does kind of allow you to, to sort of, um, yeah, maybe aim for a podium in, in whereas you would never do that in a big city marathon mm-hmm. unless you were a professional elite runner. Yeah. And so if I compare to most of, I mean, in terms of purely, uh, um, runners uh, that I interviewed so far, most of them, whether they be you know uh, running at the Olympics or whatever, it's it's always th- they they took the path of chasing that one that one tenth or one hundredth of a second for you mm-hmm. know ten years, and you're sticking to that and trying to be the the top three in the world and stuff like that. And that's what that's their fuel. That's what keeps them going. For you, when you started taking that more seriously, what is it that keeps you going and, and training, I don't know, five, six days a week and traveling the world to do those crazy races? Is it more of a personal goal or are you chasing something, something specific? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, you know, right now my goals are typically more based around distance um, as opposed to time. Um, I do want to run as hard and as fast as I can for a given distance. But when you're out there, say, doing a 200 plus mile race, you know, over the course of several days, um, finishing is, is your first and, and foremost goal. And so I think what drives me right now is sort of seeing how far can I go? You know, how, how big, how many, how many mountains can I climb? How many tens of thousands of meters can I do in, in an event? Um, so it's sort of trying to find the limit. And, um, having said that, I think there's something, I think there's something pretty special about running a fast 10 K race, you know, training for it and, or a marathon, whatever it might be, where, you know, you're really executing perfectly and you're, you're, you know, you have your training down to a science. Mm-hmm. Whereas with these longer distances, it's a little bit more, I think there's more strategy involved. It's a little bit more about experience, um, maybe more like grit, um, as opposed to, you know, pure kind of athleticism and, uh, and, uh, you know, just, um, training, you can kind of, uh, mm-hmm. overcome a lot in the moment. Um, there's a little bit more of a psychological element. So that to me, I like, I like this idea of sort of having a really dig and, you know, kind of, again, see how far is too far. And so far, I haven't quite found that limit. I'm sure I'll find it here soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, for me, it's it's kind of my goals tend to be distance-based. Okay. And so now you're an ultra long-distance runner, I think. It's it's kind of the max that you can do. So what's the next, uh, what is the next big one? And from my research, is the Mohab 240 miles, which is... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So 240 miles. So I've done a couple of, um, you know, I took a few years to kind of build up my distances, starting with 50 kilometers and 50 miles, 100 kilometers, and eventually moved up to the 100 mile uh, distance, which is kind of the, that's sort of the big one for ultra running. Um, You know, you're running through the night, typically at least one night, sometimes more, sometimes two, and you're seeing that sunrise in the morning. And that's, there's something special about that. Um, but lately these 200 plus mile events have become popular as well. And it's kind of the next, the next frontier. Right. And, um, I did a couple of them in Europe. I did one in the Italian Alps, one in the Swiss Alps. Uh, but my longest to date was about 220 miles, 360 odd kilometers. 
And so this one I have coming up is the Moab 240. It's 240 miles, uh, which will be my longest event in distance, but with less elevation change than I had in, say, the Swiss Alps. So a little bit different. It'll be a little bit more of a running event versus, uh, you know, some of those events in the Alps are more like hiking events. You really are doing a lot of uh, kind of zombie marching through the mountains mm -hmm. in, in the middle of the night. Um, so this would be a different challenge in that sense. I'll be running more and hopefully at a much quicker pace, longer distance, but hopefully I'll finish in a shorter period of time than I, than I had in those last couple events. Because what I found is the biggest challenge is the sleep deprivation. Yeah. You know, when you're moving for 100 to 120 hours on just a few hours sleep, you know, you really are getting in a kind of a strange place by the end of those, those four, four or so days, four and a half days. So with this event, I hope to finish in closer to, you know, three, three and a half days. And so it'll be a little bit more of a physical challenge and less of that mental aspect, but uh, still a challenge nonetheless. It's crazy. Plus probably the, the temperature. If I, that's right. I yeah. think it's somewhere. It'll, it'll be warm during the day and then uh, cool at night. The desert gets quite cool in, in the, at night as well. How do you prepare for those? I mean, you're in a very, very niche uh, types of, of races. So there aren't, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, uh, ultra long distance runners, but how do you prepare for those nights out and stuff like that? Is there, I mean, yeah. you prepare by training, but you don't, the, the same way people running a marathon, they don't run a marathon for, to prepare, right? They, they mm -hmm. run whatever, 15 kilometers or something like that. For you specifically, yeah. how do you uh, prepare for that for sleep deprivation? And are you, I mean, diet, uh, sleep, the physical uh, aspect in general, plus the, the the sleep deprivation. Yeah, how is how do you combine all that to to make a, a race successful? Well, there's a lot of things that you can control, and, and really with ultra running, I think like anything, any any kind of sport, you're trying to control what you can control. But I think even more so with ultra running, there's so much that's out of your control. Again, because you're in these environments that can be different from day to day, race to race, for sure. Uh, the environment can change within a race. You know, you might start in a valley and climb to the top of a mountain and a storm might move in. Um, you know, your, your, uh, your stomach can react in different ways, especially when you're dealing with heat and altitude and, you know, different, uh, different foods you might encounter during an event. So, and, and of course, also your feet are always a variable as well. So feet, stomach, you know, your head. Um, these are all things that we, we try to manage. Um, and part of that is done in training. So for a hot event, I might do some heat training, for example, I'm doing a regimen where I'll, um, I, I unfortunately live in a cooler climate. Um, although I was recently in Spain and fortunately had a little bit of heat there, but here in Vancouver, what I'll do is do a run and then immediately go into the sauna. And, uh, some of the latest science is showing that you don't need to necessarily train in a warm climate as long as you run and then immediately go into the sauna. Even if you're just sitting there, that can actually mm. help you to acclimate to heat. Um, so that's one way I'll be preparing for this race. When I do races at altitude, I'll, I'll try to go early and do a bit of altitude training as well uh, in an effort to increase, you know, red, uh, hemoglobin, red, red blood cells, <coughs> excuse me. So that's another element that we can, we can try to control is training for the altitude in a given race. Um, when it comes to nutrition, I'll typically, uh, practice what I'm going to be eating during an event. So I'll practice that in my training. Um, one way to control that is to bring my own nutrition products as opposed mm -hmm. to relying on, you know, especially when you travel abroad and, you know, um, aid stations in Europe definitely have different things than we might be used to in North America, for example. Um, time changes can be a challenge. Again, traveling to Europe, you know, I'll go a week early if I can and try to get onto the correct time zone. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that you can control and then there's things that you can't control. Um, one of those is unfortunately sleep deprivation is not something you can train for. Mm -hmm. You can definitely train, I think, psychologically to run through the night. But once you've done that a few times, I, I no longer do training runs overnight in preparation for these races. Cause I've done so many of these races. Now I kind of have that in the bank, you yeah. know, psychologically, I know how to run through the night, but for newer runners, that's, you know, <clears throat> something a coach might recommend is go out and start a run at 10 PM and run till six in the morning to see, you know, how it feels. Um, but once you've done that, you've done that, but the actual sleep deprivation, there's no way to train your body for that. So that's unfortunately one variable that I wish I, I could learn to control more. Um, caffeine helps to a degree, but only, it only gets you so far. Um, so yeah, it's, again, it's about controlling what you can and then sort of problem solving through the rest on the day, mm -hmm. uh, with whatever problems present themselves. Mm -hmm. But like you said, those problems, whether they be, you know, your feet, your stomach, whatever, these are things that we face 
one way or another in a day on in our daily life like you said sleep deprivation so what happens for those races that you that you did between let's say uh, midnight and, and 6 a.m your body your, your your brain in general how yeah what happens what are the the, the lowest uh, moment you can uh, remember of and how you how did you get uh, out of those moments well i think uh you know a lot of my friends who do similar races we all we all share war stories and we all share what turn out to be similar experiences. And one of them are hallucinations for sure. Um, I don't tend to see, you know, uh, things like items and, you know, I don't see people or objects. Mm-hmm. I, I see patterns. So for me, it's like uh, the ground might look like just a whole bunch of little spirals or little faces. Every rock has a little face on it or something. So mm-hmm. there's these hallucinations you get that you, you know, they're not real, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it can just be hard to focus your eyes sometimes. Um, and so, I think kind of just trying to sort of see through that stuff and, and not trip, you know, that's, that's the challenge. Um, the things like, um, falling asleep on your feet, or that's something that, that a lot of people talk about where, you know, it's this feeling of you'll be climbing up a mountain, you know, hiking a, mount, a mountain maybe. And all of a sudden you're kind of near the top of it. And you think, I, I don't remember the last few miles. Like literally, <laughs> I think I just fell asleep on my feet hiking. Somehow you still manage to keep moving. Um, and that's something that a lot of people, they've, a lot of people have had that experience. And that's kind of a scary experience, actually, when you, when you start to lose time um, out in, on the trails. Um, again, it's, there's not much you can do to deal with that or to avoid it. You just need to, you know, kind of get through to sunrise. And that's partly... The experience of having done that a few times, you just know it's, you know, I just got to get through a few more hours. And when that sun comes up, I'll get a second wind, right? My body will, will maybe I think it, that it had some sleep. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, you know, I can kind of trick my body into thinking it's a new day. And so part of that is just pushing, just getting through, you know, just one foot in front of the other and, um, and just trusting that, you know, while it might be bad now, it's going to get, you know, give it a couple hours and it might get better. And of course, the inverse can be true too. If it's, if it's good now, give it a couple hours. It can always get worse as well. <laughs> Amazing. And so I see, I see your, a smile on your face for all those stories that you tell. So, is there a, a world in which you actually enjoy this part, or it's because looking yeah. back, you know that you went through it and you look for the next challenge, which is you know the extra extra mile or extra ten miles? Is that is there something in the ultra runners that you guys or you girls enjoy? this looking back and maybe also on the mm-hmm. moment uh all those stuff you know just pushing the limit much further than what we're supposed to do as basic human beings well we you know i call it type two fun um it's not fun <laughs> in the moment often but it's fun in hindsight it's it's a fun story to to have and you know to look back on um <clears throat> the reason i'm smiling though is because it's such a ridiculous sport when you think about it yep. <laughs> we're paying we're spending all this time and and you know all these resources to to do what you know to suffer in the mountains admit there's probably something primal there that we're searching for some of us you know um you know something that we were maybe we evolved to do but at the end of the day we're paying to do this um it, it, we're doing it by choice and that's why when i when i kind of laugh about it often in the moment i'm laughing too because i'm like what a ridiculous thing here i am in the you know it's maybe three in the morning i'm i'm at three thousand meters and top of some swiss mountain there's nobody for miles and i haven't slept in two days like what am i doing out here and in those worst moments those those horrible moments those the lowest of the lows i try to remind myself like i, I i'm literally paying to be here like it, <laughs> if i don't want to be here i can just stop you know so and it kind of helps to keep things in perspective um that you know and it's it's kind of a, a mantra i have like when things get really hard i sort of tell myself and sometimes i say this out loud this is what you came for like it's this moment now you know again it might be four hours into a, a race it might be four days depending on the event but when it gets really really tough that's what you came for it you didn't you came to see how you would respond you know can you rally in that moment can you push through that's what it was all about. It was about finding that low and then digging yourself out. So I I do like those moments because then I, I kind of tell myself like, okay, we're there. We made it. Mm-hmm. We made it to the low part. Now is we got to dig our way back out. Yeah. That is what we, that's what we're there for. That's what we trained for. That's what we paid all that money for. Traveled halfway around the world potentially for, yeah. you know, it is those moments. And, and so you're, 
maybe literally sometime uh, walking on the edge, whether it be, <laughs> whether it's a metaphor or not. Uh, but do you have like a, a team with you also looking up uh, for you, or are you you know tracked with GPSs so that you can mm -hmm. keep the fun and you know leave the dangerous part on the side, or are you sometime also you know, can you be in danger, um, and, and can it also become really scary for you know life threatening stuff? Well, I think as far as, you know, support, it depends on the event and it depends on the athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do any of these events on your own. You can show up and pay your money and, and do the event. You don't need a crew. Um, many events, especially in Europe, don't allow pacers, for example. Okay. Pacer being somebody who typically in the back half of a race might accompany you for, you know, for safety reasons. Um, <clears throat> you can do these events without any, any of that support. And people do. Um, The reason you can do that, you can just show up and, and do that is because most of these events now, 99.9% .9 of the events around the world do have the runners, the athletes safety uh, at, at the top of, of their concerns. It's getting everybody back safely. We typically do have GPS tracking devices for the more remote, remote events. Um, there's often course marshals, maybe at some of the more dangerous points. Sometimes they'll put fixed ropes up, for example, at some of the, mm -hmm. in some of the, the mountain uh, environments. There's always aid stations, checkpoints. Um, so runner safety is always a, a top concern for race directors. And for a number of reasons, you know, mainly because they can't get insurance unless they, you know, if they have problems. So we have seen a few accidents in the, in, over the years. Um, notably, there was one in, in China recently, and they put a, put a halt to all races for a few years after that. Um, but when those things happen, I think the, the world, you know, um, learns from those mistakes collectively and puts new policies and practices in place. Mm -hmm. Most events have search and rescue teams on standby, for example. Um, and some events require that you pay and, and have insurance for extraction, um, especially when you're in places like Switzerland. So the, the great thing about these events is that you can push yourself to the limit. You can be on that limit of whatever it is fatigue, starvation in some cases, just really pushing yourself to the limit, but in a safe and somewhat controlled environment because there is a team watching your back. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're on your own and doing these things in the mountains, the mountains <clears throat> can be a very dangerous place. And so when you're, when I'm out there training, maybe in the backcountry and doing, you know, maybe multi-day fast packing adventures, for example, I always need to build in a margin of error. I need a buffer. I need to have extra equipment with me. I need to have extra water. I, I can never quite be on the brink of exhaustion. I always need yeah. to have reserves because there's nobody watching my back in those scenarios. It's just me. So, um, I don't get to push it as hard in training for that reason. Whereas in the races, you get to, you get to leave it all out there because you are, that is part of what you're paying for. You're paying for that support network. Okay. And so, yeah, what do you think will be the limit moving forward? You said you want to keep keep growing distances there, there necessarily is a maximum at least for now uh but yeah what are you still chasing uh you're what maybe in your uh i don't know 35 a bit more uh yeah so for, you reached yeah, your, I mean, your peak at 27 you yeah. probably are actually at your peak or are around your peak but yeah what, what are you chasing now yeah i think i've accepted now so i, I just turned 42 and i just accepted oh. that i'm I'm getting slower. I mean, I'm getting more experience and I'm getting, I'm able to run further and, uh, but I'm definitely not getting naturally faster. I think I've reached my, my potential in terms of speed. So again, for me, it's finding these longer distances, but I also recognize that there's a limit in terms of sleep deprivation. I mean, there's these mm -hmm. events now that are 450, 600 kilometers. And, you know, again, you, you, the winners are going to be getting a few hours sleep over the course of seven, eight days. Um, and it starts to get a little bit Well, it's not good for you. It's not good for your brain to, to go that far. So I think for me, it's, it's seeing how quickly I can do these 200 plus, you know, 240 mile events like the Moab. Um, and then beyond that, I think it's probably looking at sort of longer distance, maybe fast packing. So unsupported uh, challenges where maybe I'm, you know, trying to cross a mountain range over the course of, you know, two weeks or so, or, um, but where I would be sleeping, but maybe carry my own equipment. Uh, so there's logistics involved. Then a couple of uh, self-supported stage races where it is a racing environment. There's checkpoints and all that, but you carry your own equipment and you, you know, you're responsible for carrying all your own food. So there's a little bit more strategy involved there. So yeah. So for me, it's kind of doing these longer distance things, but also building in a little bit more of the logistical elements where I have to, 
you know, where that experience that I'm gaining uh, kind of helps me as well. So it's not just pure athleticism because, mm-hmm. again, I think as, as I age, I'm getting a little bit, uh, um, I'm getting those diminishing returns that were all too familiar from my marathon days. <laughs> okay. Um, so th- there's one race that is, I think, the, the growl for uh, ultra runners or trail runners in general, which is a ultra trail du Mont Blanc in France. Mm-hmm. Um I think you participated last year. Uh, is that something that was for you some some sort of a peak, or did, didn't uh, or didn't it really uh, you know represent anything that you were really uh, going after? Yeah, UTMB was a dream of mine for sure. It was a bucket list. Um, you know, one of one of my top um, uh, you know desired races for sure. I have a couple other ones I still would love to do, like the Hard Rock 100 in the U.S. But UTMB is sort of considered the Super Bowl. It's a big event, you know, over 2,000 runners, um, which has pros and cons. You know, uh, it's a very busy and kind of chaotic uh, race. It's it's not doesn't have quite the same sort of grassroots feel that I'm used to uh, with mm-hmm. North American races. Um, but it's very exciting, and there's thousands of people lining the streets, cheering you on, supporting you. Um, So that was definitely a dream come true for me. And I think I still have some unfinished business there because while I did, uh, I ran it with my girlfriend, Audrey, and we made a film about our experience Mm -hmm. and uh, that film's been quite uh, successful. Um, My training leading up to it, I I had done a different race a couple months prior that was much more runnable and flatter. So I think if I could do it again, I would focus on that race wholeheartedly for the season and Mm -hmm. train in the mountains the entire season and really come prepared. And I also would probably leave the camera at home um, just to see what I could really do. So I do have a little bit of unfinished business there. I think I could run a much faster time. Uh, But yeah, running it last year definitely was an amazing experience. And um, I think being able to make the film and tell the story, you know, we had such a positive and continue to have such a positive effect, I think, on other runners who you know, maybe aspire to do something similar or maybe didn't know that they maybe wanted to do that. But after watching the film, uh, have maybe embarked on their own journey uh, to, to mm-hmm. trying to run UTMB one day. Okay, very cool. So we touched upon the, the why of, you know, running and you know, get, always getting uh, uh, further. Uh, now the how. So you're, you have a business uh, video uh, production agency and it's, you do also, you have like a, a YouTube channel, you do lots of, of videos slash films, uh, movies. Um, how do you do that? So if I compare, I would say your full-time job, this is my full-time job or my company, your video editing is the podcast for me, then that fills my whole, my whole agenda calendar. There's no more room for, there's maybe a room for like a 30-minute run once a week, uh, but you have to train for those. It's probably your number three um, occupation in your life. So yeah, how do you combine all of these things? Um, so more on the logistical aspect and also, uh, yeah, how do you combine them in you know, uh, filming your runs and then your runs having an impact on your business and all that? Well, my, my business... Uh, fortunately, I, I've been running my, my company, my agency for 18, going on 19 years. Um, so I have a business partner and we have a, a great team that we've built. And so for me, that's a little bit more of a part-time job now. And that's okay. that's really been the key to my success. That's freed me up to be able to train more and, and have training really be kind of a part-time job on its own. You know, it's something I prioritize. Yeah. It doesn't just, I don't just squeeze it in. Um, and by extension, my YouTube channel, which is essentially documenting my training and my racing, although it's it's a job unto itself as well. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of editing involved. Um, but really, it's it started with the flexibility that my my business, which is my primary income, it's the flexibility that it affords me. Uh, that gives me that time, and, and I, I'm able to travel and work remotely. You know, especially when I'm in Europe, I can work in the evenings, take calls with my team. Um, so that's really been kind of the secret. So that was a couple of decades in the making. And it's really just okay. been the last three to five years that I've really had the flexibility and a bit more time to mm-hmm. dedicate to to everything else. And that's that's why and how I've been able to grow my YouTube channel. And as I go on now, I'm spending more and more time on the YouTube channel and less time kind of focusing on my original business um, and trying to build it into its own business as well uh, for kind of the longer term, kind of the next phase of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you uh, how do you do that? So it's been growing. You've been you've been having more and more viewers and followers. Um, I listened to a podcast where you said that you had to learn the the ropes of making videos for YouTube versus um, 
what you used to do uh, in mm -hmm. your agency. But yeah, how do you um, how do you make that uh, a, a full time occupation or another source of uh, of income for you? Yeah, I mean, so the the technical aspect I, I sort of had already because I'm a you know camera person and a video editor by trade. I've directed, I've interviewed people. So when I make my films, sometimes I make them in more of a documentary format. I'm interviewing people, I'm shooting B-roll and drone footage. Uh, that stuff I knew how to do. So, but there was a bit of a learning curve, and I'm still learning um, about YouTube as a platform, and also just the 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 type of storytelling that's more appropriate for you know, say a vlog style film versus a corporate documentary. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I, I continue, I continue to work on it. I continue to hone my craft when it comes to the storytelling side of it, but at least the technical part I kind of had down. Um, the other part is, you know, I definitely have a, a business background and I've been essentially in sales all my life, you know, uh, writing proposals and things. Um, so I'm able to now apply that to building some of the relationships and the partnerships that I leverage on my, the YouTube side, um, to help to fund some of my adventures. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, again, I'm used to writing proposals and pitching ideas for projects. So, uh, that's partly how I, how I fund my lifestyle now and, uh, the projects that I'm pursuing. Mm -hmm. And so in, in the facts on a, say on a daily or, or weekly basis, how do you combine all of that? What is a typical day for you? I read that you're organized almost by the minutes. Uh, that everything is kind of set up in your agenda. Um, is that a thing? And and if yes, how do how do you make that work? And where does that uh, discipline come from? Yeah, and maybe not by the minute, but I definitely block out my time um, and uh, kind of plan my day. And part of that's planning downtime, of course, uh, planning recovery time. Um, but again, I I don't sort of see work as being different from something like training. I, I kind of it's all about balancing um, mm -hmm. one off the other. My YouTube work uh, takes priority as well. Um, so I think it's just being disciplined with your time. Um, I do study sort of productivity um, and different methodologies uh, around productivity. So that's definitely something I take seriously. I don't think that happens by accident, um, being productive. I think there are definitely um, uh, steps you can take. There's yep. methodologies you can, you can practice. Um, Again, it's something that I've always done. So for example, I use Gantt charts for my YouTube projects. I have a whole bunch of Gantt charts and different databases, and but that's something I've always done for the agency side of my work. So mm -hmm. managing projects is just something I've done all my life. Um, and project man management is a, it's not an art form. It's just a skill set that you can learn. You know, there are tools you can use and there's, yeah. there's a method to it. So um, I, I manage my life as as a series of projects uh, when i take on an objective it's just there's a goal there's a deliverable i'm trying to achieve and there's i manage it like any project whether i'm planning a trip planning a race and and my training for it planning a youtube a film or planning the purchase of a new vehicle i mean there's there's you know it's a project and uh and it can be planned like one so i think um yeah i think i, I benefit from my my experience as a as a lifelong project manager mm -hmm. nice well that definitely helps uh i'm, st I'm still trying to learn that those uh, you know, productivity uh, tips and, and tricks. Um, is there a one to prioritize? That, is there a life hack for prioritization that you can, uh, mm -hmm. that you can give me or give the, the audience yeah. in general? For example, assume tomorrow you have a um, training plan from, let's say, 4 to 6 p.m. And it turns out that you have an issue at the same time that comes on your YouTube channel and someone calls a meeting for in your business. You know, that's, these are the things that happen on, on a daily basis almost. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you prioritize? Yeah. I mean, um, there's a few things. Um, so, um, one thing is definitely building in Slack time. Cause like you said, things do come up. So buffering time, like not, not scheduling too, too, um, too much in a day, mm -hmm. um, front loading your day can help a lot of people. So doing some of the hardest tasks first, doing the heavy work in the morning when you still have, um, you know, that sort of mental fortitude to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, that means doing creative work maybe later in the day, uh, which is a little bit easier for me to dive into getting a lot of the administrative stuff done early. Um, I think delegation is an important thing to learn. And a lot of us struggle with that. I struggle with that. So delegating the things that you, if you, if, if, if somebody else can do it, and if, if it's not something you really enjoy doing, you should probably delegate that. Um, so that's, that's asking for help, um, is, is a big one, but I think the biggest thing and something that I've, I've really had to learn, and I'm still working on this skill is saying no, learning to say no, Yeah. Um, you know, and it can be hard. A lot of people are, a lot of us like to 
are people pleasers and we like to help out friends and, and other people. So learning to say no is, is a tough one, um, but you need to. Um, I, one of my mantras is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And so it's just a matter of what you prioritize in life. And some of us have more time than others, more disposable time. Some of us have, I don't have, for example, kids. Um, if I did have kids, I'd have to say no to more things. Yeah. I have a bigger bucket I can fill because uh, I do have more of my own time. Again, I have more time than most people because my, my business is more part-time for me now. But at the end of the day, there's still a limit. I still have mm-hmm. to say no to things. And for me, that might even mean, you know, what races do I take on in a given year? You know, what trips are we doing? And these are all great problems to have, but there's sometimes there's, there's so many things you want to accomplish and you have to sort of say, well, I can only do two or three of these. You know, I can only run two big races maybe in a year. So what are they going to be? And I only have maybe 10 good years left of racing in front of me. So we're talking 20 big events, right? So I better start prioritizing and making a list and, and really making sure the events I do that they, that they're important to me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think learning to say no and learning to prioritize is something that we all need to start you know, working on and it's a lifelong, uh, thing to, to try yeah. to improve. What are, uh, maybe one or two recent things that you said no to, um, that you would, you know, your instinct would have told you to, uh, to say yes to. So I got invited. We, we just got back to Europe. Um, we got back from Europe about, what was it now? Uh, five days ago or something yep. here. We, we were in Europe for three and a half months, uh, starting with a month in England and just had an amazing time doing different adventures and races filming a lot of content and I have months of editing work now to do to catch up on. And, uh, while we were still in Spain, before we left, I got an email from, um, an agency who was working <coughs> with the tourism department in, in, in Europe. And they wanted me to do uh, a trip there. They said, Hey, we'd like to bring you over to Europe to do some vlogging for a couple of weeks, all expenses paid. And they had a whole itinerary. And I said, well, first of all, I'm, I'm in Europe, but I'm leaving in a week and I, I can't come back in four weeks. I can't say yes to that for a number of reasons. One of them is I have this other event coming up, but also, I mean, for me, it's, it's the carbon footprints of doing two year, two trips in a two month period. I mean, you know, I, I can't justify doing that. Um, but also just my time. Yeah, but it was so tempting to think, oh, maybe I could squeeze this in. Maybe I could make this work. It's an, you know, but it was a job. I mean, it is work. It would, and it would have been an intense sort of 10 days of travel and filming that they wanted me to do. Um, but I had to say no to that. And um, great problem to have, to be turning yeah. away opportunities. But that was one that it was an easy one essentially to turn away because I just, it would have been too much. And I would have been stressing right now about how I have this other trip coming up in two yeah. or three weeks. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Um, talking about the, a bit, sorry, about the, the mental side of things. Um, a lot of people, whether they, again, be athletes, uh, professionals, entrepreneurs, they, they go for a run or they go for a physical activity to, you know, empty their brain and just, you know, be free for, for a few minutes or an hour. Um, for, for you, do you still, do you still run as part of an exercise to, um, relax or because running is so organized, so precise. So, uh, no, you have so many goals to reach. Do you have other ways to, uh, um, yeah, relax and, and, and unplug your brain from time to time. And if so, where do you find the time and how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I have a bit of a hard time unplugging. Like even when I'm running, I'm usually working on ideas and it's one of the best ways to, to think your way through a problem, I find. Um, I'm not the kind of person that can like sit on a beach, for example. I'm good for like an hour and then I get bored. Um, I do feel like I, I always want to be productive. But again, sometimes that productivity is I want to go climb this mountain for the next 12 hours. You know, I don't need yeah. to be doing something that on the surface feels productive. It's just I need to be working towards a goal at all times. Um So, but to me, that is relaxing, I guess. That's sort of, um, it makes me feel like I'm on the right path, literally or figuratively. And um, the only thing I, I, I do, I, you know, I grew up watching a lot of TV and I do like unplugging and shutting off my brain and watching, you know, Netflix or, or whatever it might be. Um, so I would say that would be my one kind of guilty pleasure is maybe watching too much TV. Um, I like to tell myself it's research or it's, uh, you know, as a filmmaker, but, uh, yeah, that's probably one, one thing I could do less of maybe, but I definitely do like to unplug at night and, and watch yeah. TV. Okay. So yeah, because you seem to be very, uh, um, goal oriented, um, mm -hmm. growth mindset. And like you say, 
I have some sort of a similar mindset where I say doing the podcast is my way to relax. But no, because I'm I'm preparing. I was thinking about it in the car this morning. I woke up mm-hmm. a bit earlier to prepare. Then I have all this. Then I have to you know, debrief, take notes, blah, blah, blah. I know I didn't relax really, but it's just yeah. like you. Just one hour of doing nothing feels like a wasted hour. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, it's just I was just curious to see how you approach that because that's that's one thing that you can do for a certain time, but at some point it, it, it might just explode because the moment you consider being relaxing or actually just another type of work or creation or, you know, your, your brain and your, your body working. So uh, anyway, it's just, I, I do though, I do prioritize sleep. Like that, that is one thing that, you know, I, you, you can't be in a high stress state all the time. Yeah. And especially when you are doing a lot of physical, also mental gymnastics, you know, when your, your brain burns a lot of calories as well. Um, and, you, you, uh, I've really learned the importance of rest. And for me, that might be, you know, nine hours of sleep of night, a night, um, mm-hmm. sometimes even a nap during the day. If I've, if I'm really, if my training volume is quite high. So that is one, one thing I think I, I definitely try to shut off at night when I'm sleeping, which uh, it can be tough. You know, you wake up at four in the morning and have to jot some ideas down. Maybe that came to you, but, uh, yeah, sleep, <laughs> sleep is definitely important. I don't think, um, um, I would never want to give anybody the impression that I am sort of a 24 hours a day grinding it out kind of person. Like there is a time and a place to rest and let your body recover. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and I know people that work less and sleep less and they are okay with the five to six, you know, uh, hour night um, calendar. But for me, it's minimum eight hour during the, during the week. And I know whenever I have seven hours of sleep the next morning, takes <laughs> takes time to start uh but yeah I, I i guess i'm lucky enough just like you are that when i just put my head on the pillow it's all gone <laughs> maybe a yeah. few ideas in the night but other than that yeah but the rest of the 16 hours is kind of productivity only so uh, it's interesting yeah. to see that <laughs> i'm not the I think only that's one a, that's a good if you have that balance i think that's that's a, a sustainable way to approach but, your life yeah but it's still a very high paced you know because when you're sleeping of course your body rests but your mind also rests, but the moment you're up, you're you're back into into doing stuff. Uh, so yeah, I think that's why this episode is interesting. Is you have so many different things. You're not just focused 16 hours a week on running. You also have your mm-hmm. other personal um, personal and and professional um, uh, businesses. Um, if if you had um, one personal goal that you'd like to achieve, any of your fields and and activities in the next two years, let's say, what would that uh, objective be? Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm very project focused. So, uh, and, and when I say projects, I try to, I try to try to break things down into more manageable kind of, you know, goals, things that I can do in a, in a, in a few months or whatever. So I don't have a lot of sort of grandiose goals. Um, but I guess collectively, a lot of the smaller things that I would consider projects would kind of come together, I guess, to form like a body of work. And that's kind of what I'm focused on is I sort of see, you know, a lot of the events I want to do, a lot of the long distance trails I want to tackle, um, the adventures I want to take on. Those directly correlate to a lot of the film projects I want to produce mm-hmm. and document. And part of that is is telling stories that inspire people and uh, kind of show people what's possible um, and, uh, you know, inspire people to get out and travel and get out into the mountains. Um, and so together I'm trying to build kind of a body of work, a portfolio folio that I can sort of look back on and be really proud of. So I look at it more as, you know, each of these kind of projects, each of these are a step towards something bigger, but I don't know that that bigger thing has, is really definable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite know where, where that's going to take me. Um, but I do sort of know, generally what direction I want to head. And um, I sort of have a vision for what that future might look like. Um, And for me, that is full-time, you know, doing this full-time as I have been this year, traveling a lot, doing some big, you know, great events that really inspire me, staying healthy. Um, And by that, I mean, not getting injured. if I can avoid it as much as possible, but also building a team. And I would like to build a team around me um, so that I can scale my production a little bit higher um, and to kind of, take the, my production levels to the next level. And with that, I'm not sure where that, where that will, t- will take me. So it's less about, um, you know, any specific channel growth goals or anything. It's more just building a team and a, a bit of a content production house maybe. Um, and within that, there's just, there's so much we could accomplish. There's so many projects and things. And um, yeah, to really kind of leave a lasting legacy, a lasting mark on the, um, 
you know, on the sport and hopefully to help grow the sport to, to other people outside of, the, of, of running who maybe I can inspire to take up trail running or at least to, mm-hmm. again, to spend more time in the mountains. Very interesting. And that content, um, content production, would, would it be around trail running only or do you think more, you think wider things like maybe also lifestyle and, you know, health, um, all that? Well, I consider myself a, um, an ad- outdoor adventure filmmaker, first and foremost, um, who happens to be focused on trail running right now. But there's definitely a, a, probably a theme that some people would notice in my, in my, my films and in the, the events I like to do. There's always a, a travel component. There's always an element of meeting people from other cultures, exploring a place I've never been to. Um, but really, it's about adventure, right? It's about learning something new about yourself, about a place. And I mean, I, I could see you know, doing bike packing, for example, and, and, uh, you know, maybe exploring that for a few seasons in a similar fashion, going somewhere new and, and having an adventure and, you know, meeting people and learning about a new culture. Um, you know, and of course, by extension, there's a number of, of different ways I could take that into different sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like endurance sports. I think endurance sports, you know, these longer events, again, whether it be tackling, a route, like a long route or whatever it might be. It's, there's more room. I think there's more breathing room for telling stories as opposed to shorter, more intense activities. Um, so I think I'll always be sort of endurance sports focused, but I don't think that'll necessarily always be running. And I would like to appeal to a broader audience and tell more varied stories also just to keep it interesting for myself. Um, and of course there's definitely an overlap there with just traveling in general. So I could see kind of maybe, not becoming a travel generalist, but, um, yeah, I think just sort of exploring different types of adventures, maybe a long distance sailing race or something I could do. And, you know, tell, tell a story about that. Um, I think that if I can learn to tell good stories and, and sort of develop a style, I think people will be willing, hopefully to watch those no matter what I'm sort of telling a story about. Very, very interesting. Um, if you had two minutes with a 10 year old Jeff, What would uh, each say to the other? <laughs> um, well, I guess if I had advice, if that's kind of what you're 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 asking could be, me, could be a feedback, could be a yeah, an advice. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not too sure. That's a, I'd have to think about that. I uh, I think I was obviously a very different person as a kid, as as many of us are. I think I would probably. Could tell I'd yourself, probably try you to tell run. myself to, to relax can, a little bit more, maybe yeah. to, to, to not, um, I think even now I'm still quite, I, I feel like there's a clock ticking and that, um, uh, that, that's partly what drives me, I think is this idea that, you know, there only are, you know, I, 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 am now planning my, my athletic career in three to five year periods, acknowledging that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, when I'm 52, I won't be able to do the same things I can now at 42. Um, and sort of, you know, really trying to think of these big picture goals, but, um, at the same time, there's things, you know, that you want to spend time with friends and family and, you know, there's other things you want to kind of stop and slow down and, and do as well. So, um, I don't know, maybe there's something in there. Maybe there's something about sort of trying to find balance between goal being goal oriented and kind of just staying in the moment. Okay. Very nice. I, I take those, uh, those, this advice for, for myself. <laughs> um, w- where should people follow you? So you're active on, on Instagram, you're active on YouTube. Where, where exactly should, should we, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah those are the two, my two main channels, Instagram. I, Instagram's kind of a more real time, you know, sort of post photos every couple of days typically. Um, and, uh, so yeah, Instagram and then also my YouTube channel, of course, uh, things are usually a little delayed there. I, I do, um, have a bi-weekly vlog series where I mm-hmm. document my training and my travels and that's usually just highlights. And then my films typically follow from those adventures a few months later when I finally have time to edit them. So I have projects now from starting way back in March when we went to Patagonia that I'm still working on the editing right. for. So, so there'll be films rolling up in those as well. Isn't that a thing that you should try to delegate? the editing part of your, uh, your journey. Yeah. That's, that's one area I struggle with because the, the editing process is such a, um, integral part of the creative part process, the storytelling. Um, so as a better example, one thing I, I am going to try to delegate moving forward is, is animation, creating maps and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's something I'm not very good at anyway, nor do I actually really enjoy doing it. 
So that's an easy thing to delegate for me. Whereas the editing and the, uh, that's sort of, it's a trickier part to delegate. Um, I am going to probably try to find somebody, some people to help me with more of the educational style content uh, that I tend to do from time to time, because that's a little bit less creative. Yeah. That can be scripted and, and executed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, if there was one athlete, ideally Canadian, Canadian, sorry, but mm-hmm. if not, that's fine, uh, that you would like to hear on a podcast like this one, who would that uh, person be? Well, <clears throat> an early inspiration for me was Ray Zahab. Um, who is based in Ottawa, and he's a Canadian adventurer and athlete. Who um, he, he's been he's he's inspired me since since day one. And he does huge self supported adventures in the Arctic and in the in the desert. He's run across most of the world's deserts. Um, and I am fortunate now to be able to call him a good friend as well. And so he's somebody who continues to inspire me. And uh, you know we're planning to get out hopefully soon on a big adventure together. Um, so yeah, Ray Zahab is definitely somebody that, uh, I think we can all, uh, take life lessons from, especially in light of some of his recent, um, uh, sort of health problems he's had as well and, and how he's overcome those challenges and come back to doing what he loves to do most. How do you uh, spell, uh, his name? Yeah. So Ray Zahab, it's, uh, Z-A-H-A-B. Oh, Ray Zahab. Okay. All right. Yep. Cool. I'll look him up. Yeah. Uh, okay. Finally, the last question that I always ask is, um, Uh, so I'm building at my cottage up north uh, what I want to mm-hmm. call a, a museum of sports. I have a few gears from the people that came on the podcast. Is there anything from uh, one of your past races, you know, uh, a race number, anything, a sock, <laughs> uh, anything that you uh, you think of that might be a might be a good addition? Yeah, I was thinking about that, trying to think of what sort of exemplifies sort of mountain uh, ultra running. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think one thing that sort of uh, I, I, trail runners wear a lot are, are buffs. You can wear a buff. It's one of these uh, sort of all-purpose items that I always wear around my wrist mm-hmm. and then I can wipe the sweat or if I get cold, I can wear it around my neck or even wear it as a little toque. Yeah. And I think that probably would be something that I would put into something like that would be a buff Sweet. That, I've, that I've used in a couple that, events. Yeah. That would be nice. Awesome. Um Any last word, anything we can wish you uh, for the uh, the upcoming year? And um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just, um, you know, we talked a lot about uh, sort of more races and things, but something that has really been driving me lately, and I think a lot of people are drawing inspiration from are, are doing these more multi-day fast packing adventures where it's a combination of hiking, camping, I should say, and trail running. So you're sort of just doing bigger days, moving a little bit quicker with very ultra light gear. Um, or even in Europe, you can do this by going hut to hut and running hut to hut. And um, it really becomes like a running adventure or part running adventure, part running vacation, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're staying in the refuges and you can eat these great meals and, and, and really move swiftly through the mountains. So I would sort of encourage everyone to maybe, you know, if you want to learn more about that, check out my YouTube channel. I have some, some films about fast packing and talk a little bit about the gear and how you can approach that. Um, because I think for a lot of us, especially as we age and we get less competitive and we're looking for a new challenge, doing these self-supported um, multi-day adventures might be exactly what what uh, will keep us moving uh, nice. into the future. Very cool. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll watch more of those and hopefully get inspired for my next uh, next vacation. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff. That was uh, a lot of fun. Very inspirational. And um, yeah, um, I want to keep keep uh, moving forward with my project the same way you, you did with yours. Yeah. And best of luck. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.